0: Well, church, one thing about this time that we're in is facing not even just the boredom of it. So that's why I've been grateful, kind of in this quarantine time, that The Last Dance has been airing. I don't know if you've been watching that, The Last Dance, which is different than Save the Last Dance. One is a movie about dancing with Julia Stiles. One is about the Chicago Bulls dynasty. I've made that mistake. Don't make the mistake. It's embarrassing. But I have been watching The Last Dance, and it has been kind of thrilling. Kind of, to, I remember you know living through it, but just the story of Michael Jordan and the Bulls, and that's kind of the fresh debate on who is the GOAT. If you're unfamiliar with the GOAT debate, G-O-A-T, the greatest of all time. I think watching kind of this series kind of seals it for me, but I know some of you LeBron fans get a little sensitive, so I'm not going to dive into it. But it kind of you know, gets that debate going of who's the goat. It's been fun to watch, but I bring that up now because we're going to dive into the passage, and that's the debate that the disciples are having. Not about Jesus. They're going to have the debate of who is the goat. And that's what we're going to pick up coming off of the Last Supper. Kind of That is the context. We're going to dive into Luke 22, if you're following along in your own Bible at home. If not, fear not, my face is going to magically disappear, and the words will magically appear on your screen. We're in Luke 22, picking it up in verse 24. Follow along as I read. A dispute also arose among them, as to which of them was going to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercised lordship over them, And I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So I was reading one commentator, one pastor referred to this as the dumbest discussion in the history of the world. I would tend to agree given the circumstances. Remember the context that we just said, the last supper. This is Jesus' kind of last event before everything moves towards the cross. Jesus tells his disciples he's about to die, and then they turn and have a discussion about which of them is the goat. How crazy is that? Jesus says, I'm going to be gone, and then they all turn to each other. You know what? After he's gone, you know I'm, I'm the greatest, right? Like how insane is that? How dumb is that as we look at this? I mean, that'd be like after Jordan leaves, you know, B.J. Armstrong and Tony Kukoc and Steve Kerr arguing about who's the greatest. Who cares? It's like Jordan and then everybody else. Like in the greatest debate, it's about Jesus and then everybody else. And sometimes, as I was reading this and even preparing for this sermon, I found myself a little bit frustrated and annoyed. One of the reasons is, you know, if your memory serves you, that we actually covered a passage very similar to this back in Luke 9. So that was back, you know, 2, 3, 12 years ago. I don't know, whenever we were back in Luke 9, they have this same debate. And so now here they are discussing yet again which of them is the greatest. I mean, how crazy is this? So I found myself getting discouraged, but then kind of that discouragement turned to encouragement, and I hope maybe that does for you as well. I found myself frustrated at the disciples. How can they be having this debate again? You know, how lonely m- Jesus must have felt in this moment. But then that kind of discouragement turned inward, because here they are still wrestling with this. And then I began to be convicted. How many things do I still wrestle with? How many things do you still wrestle with in your life? And I get frustrated, how am I still dealing with that? And that was part of the encouragement. To watch Jesus still be kind to them at their lowest. Maybe you feel like you're at your lowest. And just knowing Jesus is still gracious with us as we continue to fail over and over. The other thing that really kind of encouraged me, I remember first, my, when I first started diving into God's word, I mean, the distinct thing I took away, obviously being impressed with God, but being so disappointed with all the heroes of the faith. These are the apostles, the 12 disciples, and look how foolish they are. And again, that turned to, that discouragement turned to encouragement for me because I want you to think of this. When I watch these guys, I can relate to them. Imagine if when you got in your Bible and you read about the followers of Christ, they were these kind of flawless, like Christian, like Navy SEALs. I mean, never failed. If there was Jesus was perfect, and then we read about his followers, and all of them were perfect little saints, like, yes, Jesus, we don't sin, Jesus. we don't. If all of his followers were perfect, we could never relate to them. But what we have here, reading the text, is they struggle with who is the greatest as Jesus is going to the cross. I get encouraged because I look at them and think, man, if God can use foolish men like that, maybe God can use people like you and me. So that's the context we're dealing with. Let's kind of dive into this passage together of this discussion, who is the greatest. Here we want to go through the rest of our time. I want to look at, you know, what is the, this is what Jesus does. You know, he sets up and looks at, compares the culture's view of greatness compared to his view of true greatness. And then I want to spend a little time, you know, encouraging us down that road. So that's what I want to spend, you know, with the rest of our time. So let's look at that. First, what is culture's view of greatness as you look at the comparison that Jesus laid out? There's three things I want to highlight. First, first point. Culture's view of greatness is all about power. You see that as he kind of laid that out, right? These kings who exercise lordship over them, that they are in authority over them. See, culture's view of greatness is all about having power. And we kind of measure that in different ways, but as I look at our culture today, it's no different than the culture that Christ was comparing true greatness to back then. It is all about power. It's all about status. You see, when you talk about the culture's view of greatness, I got into titles. You know, we call them benefactors, kings, those in authority. It's all about status and titles. And that's still true today. Now, think about the place you work. You know, think about every promotion that you get. What does it come with? You know, how do we measure power? It's in titles, right? Every promotion, you get a new title. You know, you're just kind of working. Then you become a manager, then a supervisor, then a director. Then we run out of titles, so we just start repeating them, and then we say executive. Now you're an executive director, an executive, you know, and then we get all these different things, and it just shows us, you know, how we have power, and that's greatness. We measure of how many people we are over, and we still do that today, right? You know, if we want to impress people, even as a pastor, if I want to impress people, you know, I talk about the numbers of people at our church. If you want to impress people and you want to feel like a big deal, you talk about how many people are under you at work. Well, I have a team of 15. I'm executive director, so I have a team of 15 directors under me. You know, and you get the top of the org chart, and you have people under you. That's Greatness in the culture's view. It's all about power. How many people can you boss around and tell what to do and influence? How many followers do you have? And the last thing I want to talk about power before I move on to the next point, because I think it's unavoidable. When you think about greatness, what is power? Money is power. You know, who is great in our society? It's the wealthy class. When Jesus talked about those benefactors, you know, those were the wealthy ruling class. Isn't it the same today? You know, as people are chasing greatness in our culture, it's all about power. Do you have the position of power? Do you have the right title and status? And do you have the money? Money is power. There's a huge thing as we are looking at what is great in our culture. One, it's power. But it's not just about having power and being in those positions. Did you kind of see where he transitioned towards the end? He talked about, I'm going to assign to you kingdoms, that you'll be judges and rulers. So it's not wrong, per se, just to have power. But the question is, What do you do with your power? How do you use that power? So looking at culture's view of greatness, one, it's all about power, but more specifically, secondly, it's about privilege. How do you use your power to be great in our world today? You have power, you have money. For what? For your own privilege and personal gain. Don't we look at people that way? That is living the good life. Jesus laid that out in his comparison, right? You know, who would you rather be? The one who reclines at table or the one who serves? It's rhetorical. Because we all know, we all want to be the people with privilege that live the good life. I mean, Jesus is saying, what do you want to be? You want to be the waiter at Red Lobster or the person, you know, bashing on the cheddar biscuits? It's the guy with the cheddar biscuits. We all want to live the good life, and that's what we're all chasing. You know, but the problem is, that's worldly greatness. We're chasing power. Why? So we can use it for our own privilege, so that we can live the good life so that we can be waited on. That's a cultural view of greatness. Is that you? Are you chasing status? Maybe that's a degree. Are you chasing some letters after your name? Are you chasing, you know, that next title, that next position at work, where you have more people under you? You want to be a Division I manager and people fear you and you drive a Dodge Stratus. That's that's greatness. You know, because you have all this power and respect. But the last thing that I want to point out that is huge when looking at a culture's view of greatness. There's one word that kind of jumped out at me in looking at this passage. See, the disciples, they weren't just disputing Which of them is the greatest? But did you notice it said which of them is going to be regarded as the greatest? And that leads me to the third point of what is a culture's view of greatness. You can guess what letter it's going to begin with. It's all about power, privilege, and finally, pride. Isn't that still so true as Jesus is laying out and comparing culture's view of greatness it's all about pride. That's what these guys were hung up on. Being regarded as the greatest. It was all about appearance. That's what it was all about. It's not about doing good. See, benefactors, that actual word kind of meant you know a do-gooder, you know, someone who does good for the society. But it was all selfishly motivated. That's what kept them in power. It was all for them. So people can look to them. It was all about pride. So that I can look impressive to other people. So I can look like a big deal. And How many of us, we can relate to this. We want to look impressive. Not just be great. We want to be regarded as great. I was going through some calls this week with our membership class. I had a great call was someone who was even just praying and giving their life to Christ. And we both had a lot in common because they were the, perfection, the perfectionist. They were the one that, you know, they were, you know, I'll do anything for anybody. And the funny thing is, I could relate to that. See, when I came to Christ, my life on the outside didn't look any different. What changed when I came to Christ is my internal motivation for everything I did. See, I didn't want to just do good. I wanted to be known as a do-gooder. That was my identity. It was all about pride. It wasn't just about blessing other people. It was about other people seeing that I blessed other people. Maybe you can relate to that. The pride of it all. That is what the world is chasing. I mean, it's craziness, all of us. It's pathetic, this obsession with impressing people. I'll be honest with you, be vulnerable for a second. So it's funny, this kind of quarantine time, I felt it messing with my pride. I hope, you know, you are learning some things as I am throughout this time. One of the things I'm learning as we're in this time of isolation is how much I depended on people to puff up my pride. And with that being gone, I kind of felt my pride raging a little bit. And here's the kind of pathetic confession So in this time, we're doing these videos. So early on, you know, I found out, man, other videos were getting more views as mine. So I went and checked the video and was comparing how many views my video got to the different videos we were putting out there. And I know what you're thinking, like, man, that's pathetic. And in my defense, I'd say, you're right. (laughs) I mean, it is pathetic. And I kind of worked through that with God in my own heart. But that's kind of the rat race we're all in. Chasing power and status. Chasing, you know, privilege in the good life so that we can impress other people. Doing the, wrong, doing the right thing for the wrong reasons isn't a good thing. You get that, you know, our motive matters. And Jesus kind of lays that out. Look, there's the culture's view. They kind of give you a definition that kind of, I think, you know, summarize what Jesus said. Look at this together. Cultural greatness, you use your power to further your own privilege and feed your pride. How true is that? I think that is the case today. We're chasing power so we can live the good life and our own privilege to feed our pride. And now let's move towards what is Jesus' view of greatness? What is the path we should be on? So first point with that, Christ's view of greatness is forsaking status. Did you see that? When he talked about greatness among you, he said, become as the youngest. We miss so much of the punch of that. If you are the youngest born in your family right now, I just want you to thank God you were born in America in your culture. Now to be born the youngest now means you're the golden child. You have your own rules. Your parents love you the most. The government sends you stimulus checks. Like it's just a good time to be alive if you're the youngest. So we miss some of this, because some of what was Jesus saying in this culture, the youngest had no status. See, the youngest served the oldest. So when he's saying, "Become as the youngest," I want you to forsake all status. Stop trying to act like a big deal. He talked about the last dance. You know, so when Scottie Pippen came on the team, he wanted to act like a big deal, and then they had to remind him, "Lo, you're a rookie." So when he's saying become as the youngest, that's probably a better illustration for us. You know, wherever you are, you need to just act like a rookie. You're not a big deal. Don't act like, you know, you can boss people around. Look, I'm not for hazing, but you see it on, you know, teams where the rookies got to bring the donuts. The rookies have to carry the pads of the veterans. When Jesus is saying become as the youngest, that's what he's saying. If you want to be great, I want you to act like a rookie. Act like you're not a big deal. Don't lean on your title so that you can boss people around so that you can have privilege. I mean, maybe you're not on a team. I want you to think about it in your own workplace. What does that look like to be the youngest? I mean, many of kind of the work environments, seniority rules, right? Don't act like, and maybe I don't know how long you've been there, but don't use your seniority for your own privilege. He's saying act like the youngest. What if, when you went into work, you ignored whatever title you held, ignored your seniority, and you just saw yourself there to bless everybody else? That's what Jesus is saying here. We should forsake our status. What if you did that in your workplace? That you didn't use your seniority for your own privilege? You know, you get what that matters. You know, you get vacation privileges. You get office, you know, you get first dibs and all that. You say, look, I don't care. I'm going to pretend like I don't have any seniority because I'm not going to use my title for my own privilege. So Christ's view of greatness is forsake status. Stop pursuing all these things. And again, remember, even if you have it, even if you have a big title, that's fine. Having it isn't the issue. It's how do you use it? Act like you don't have it. Jesus had the greatest, the highest name above all names, the highest title of all. And he said he didn't think of that at all. That didn't come into his mind. What if we were the same? That is greatness. Secondly, so forsake status and be completely selfless. See so again, what does this compare to the world's view of greatness? You use your power so you can gain privilege. Even when you do good, you do good to people that don't help you. Jesus is saying if you want to be great, I want you to do things that don't benefit you at all. I want you to love the least of these. I want you to particularly help those that cannot pay you back. I want you to be completely selfless. Can you imagine living your life that way where it is of no benefit to yourself? that you use your title, that you use your money and your influence, not for your own privilege, but simply to bless and serve other people. The world of greatness, it's all about you know me. It's all about the self. Jesus is saying, look, I'm the son of man. I'm the son of God, but I am here to serve. So I want you to go about it, whether it's choosing which job, choosing what you do, choosing what you do with your money, To be great in God's eyes is to use it in a way not for your own privilege, but completely selflessly. Finally, it is about serving. So as we're looking at, and Jesus is talking about what it is to be great, in the world's view, it is power. I mean, if you were to sum up in one word what is Jesus' view of greatness, it's clearly serving. If you want to be great in God's economy, and that's what's happening here. Jesus is at the Last Supper is saying, look, I'm going to leave. I want you to be an entirely different counterculture. I want you to be this community different from the world. The world is about pride. You need to be about serving and blessing other people. If you want to please God and impress God, it is about serving. It's not about impressing the masses. It's about impressing, if you just want to impress God, that audience of one, you'll lay your life down for others. You'll spend all of your influence and power blessing others. Remember, that's the illustration he used. It's like the waiter and the person you know, that is being attended to at table. You should see yourself as just a waiter. That's your identity. You are there to help and bless other people. So when I think about this picture of greatness, one of the pictures that came to my mind were Keith and Anna, friends of ours. See, I knew Keith and Anna back when I was doing student ministries and first getting into ministry. I'm doing middle school ministry. So let me tell you about Keith and Anna. See, they, by you know any worldly standard were successful you know they were great in the world's eyes see keith ran a pretty significant business i mean they they were well off you know and he didn't brag about it but i remember asking him he was in construction i think he was like the president of construction in america i know that's not a real position i'm just making a point i actually do think at one point he was the president of the association over construction i mean i'm i'm just saying look you know, in, the, in culture's view, he kind of was a big deal. I remember asking him, you know, oh, do I know some of your construction projects? He was like, oh, yeah, you know, well, first energy field and, you know, it was part of my steel was in, you know, progressive field and, you know, PNC Park. Like, oh, those, those, are, those are nice parks. Like, good job. Good on you. But here's the deal. As we're looking at this view of greatness, that isn't what made Keith and Anna great because I didn't see that side of him, and he barely talked about that side of him. What I saw and what I knew them is they were my middle school small group leaders. Both of them had their own group of middle school students. So man, yeah, he was a big deal at work. He had a lot of people under him. But yet, he would come in faithfully every Sunday and teach a group of sixth grade boys. I remember being self-conscious because that kind of class got small and there was only three boys in there. So here's this guy dedicating his time. You know, his time was worth a lot. I calculated how much he makes per hour. and It it was a lot. I'm kidding. I didn't calculate it. But here's a guy. (laughs) I didn't tell him to do this. He would do this on his own throughout the week. You know, this busy, high-powered businessman would make his own, you know, PowerPoint and Pro Presenter. He would bring in his own projector and set it up in his, you know, set it up in the room for three sixth-grade middle school boys. I mean, that is greatness. That is selfless. Look, I love middle school, but we can all admit that's kind of a crazy time. It wasn't very rewarding for him. Those sixth grade boys, you know, his kind of valuable time, they rewarded him by, like, hiding under the table and burping during the study. Like, that was his big reward. But he was great because he served. And yes, he had a very nice house. But did he use it just for his own privilege? No. That big house... Every week, he would fill it with high school kids so he can tell them about Jesus. He would host dozens and dozens of high school kids to tell them about Jesus. Keith and Anna weren't great because they had a lot of money. They were great because they served middle school kids and poured out their lives to love on them. They opened up their homes. I'll tell you one last story about them because it's personal to us. I knew them kind of right as we were getting married. I was just in ministry, and I was just about to get married. And Anna, that was Keith's wife, they uh, tells my wife, hey, I, I want to take you out sometime. This was right before, our, right before we got married. She said, well, hey, I want to buy you a dress. She takes my wife out right before we're about to go on our honeymoon, and they're trying on dresses, and she asks my wife, oh, you know, which one do you like? And she's like, wow, well, I love them all. And she just buys them all. She just buys all six dresses for my wife, like takes her on a shopping spree. At this time, I was a youth pastor, i.e., we didn't have a lot of money. Like we barely did any shopping, let alone a spree of shopping. And what a way to bless us. Right before we're going to go on our honeymoon, he buys us all these dresses. Look, I was about to get married. Like, my wife could wear a burlap sack and MC Hammer pants, and I'm like, girl, you look fine, you know? I mean, I'm going on my honeymoon. I know there's kids listening. I ain't going to go into detail. But what a beautiful thing. I still remember some of those dresses. If you want to be great, what if you take somebody out and bless them, somebody who has less means than you? That is greatness using your life using your means not for your own self but to bless other people what if you find somebody this week that won't be able to pay you back and i don't care what the job is just love them and serve that person and pour yourself out that is true greatness in christ it's forsaking status It is completely selfless. It's not about blessing yourself. It's about serving. To give you a definition for that, Christ-like greatness, forsaking status, and using all of your power to serve. That's what Jesus lays out as they're arguing about which one of them is the goat. He's saying, look, here is true greatness. And I want to kind of spend the rest of our time just spurring you on to that. I'm gonna be honest with you, this was a tough passage. And particularly for me, this was, you know, it's snowing in May. This was just a tough weekend. I mean, this is one of those, maybe everyone's days, I was just grumpy and irritable this weekend. There's a lot of heavy stuff going on in my life personally, obviously in the country. You know, I ran my 2.23 miles. Kind of as in honor of Ahmed, the kid that was brutally murdered. I'm on that jog this weekend trying to figure out how I'm going to talk to my kid about racism. I mean, it was hard. It was heavy. We're all feeling kind of this lockdown, and it's wearing on us. And now I'm going to come in, and I'm going to tell us, you need to serve. You need to not care about yourself. Get out there. How in the world do we do that? Part of what I come to is, I man, I do want you to pursue true greatness. To just lay your life down, and I don't care what the job is, but how do we get there? I mean, part of as we read this passage of Jesus saying, look, I am the one among you, but I am the one who serves. Jesus is the example, and it's hard not to picture the example of John 13 of Jesus washing the disciples' feet And that's where it clicked in my heart of how can we get there. I don't know if you remember that scene. And again, that's where if you feel like you're too big for any job, go read that story again. Jesus said, you're chasing titles. How about you pick up a towel and wash some feet? He gets to Peter. And of course, Peter feels embarrassed. And he feels uncomfortable. And Jesus says, look, you know, I need to wash you for you to go out and I need to serve you for you to go out and serve others how can I call you in the midst of as tired as you feel and as worn down as you feel I need to remind us that Jesus first served me that I don't need to be known as a do-gooder I don't need to impress other people because my identity is secure in Christ. Jesus says, I have cleansed you. I have served you. Remind yourself of that. That's why you don't have to be a slave of fear because you're a child of God. God has cleansed you if you've given your life to Him. Now, when I'm reminded that I am secure in Christ, that Jesus is looking out for me, I can lay down my life to serve. I want you to go be great. I want you to live for other people because Jesus has already secured your identity. Stop pursuing the applause of man and just worry about the applause of one. That audience of one. Because that's the thing. I'm going to tell you, you know, do something good this week. And in just the name of Jesus, you know, know, I I swear on the Bible and Chick-fil-A nuggets. Like, please don't post about it. Like, we're missing the point. Don't do it for recognition. Just do it to love other people. But here's the, here's the catch. It's not recognition of man. Do it because God will see it. Don't do it to get rewarded by people. Do it to get rewarded by Him. And that's where the passage ends. It talks about, you're going to dine with me one day. That's how I can call us to serve and lay down your life and get no recognition because Jesus will recognize you one day. You can pour yourself out because one day as you pour yourself out, Jesus will pick you up and say, well done. And you will dine with him. Do you want to get rewarded in this life and get recognized by people? Do you want to save your reward for that day when you stand before God? It's the picture of the messianic banquet of dining with him. I want you to get out of that rat race of chasing power and privilege, all just for your own pride. I want to be great, as Jesus says is greatness, to just serve other people, knowing that Jesus served me. And that Jesus sees every act of service. I want to live for that moment when I stand before God and he says, well done. Will you pray with me? Father, it is so tempting. God, it is so tempting to pursue power. God, to live the good life, to look like a big deal so people are impressed with us. God, help us God, to know that we are secure in you. I don't have to constantly try to impress people. God, that you have first cleansed me. You have first served me. God, in that humility, God, would we lay down our lives to serve and bless others. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.